Acheron, The Demon King, by Morgan Huxley. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 16 When Mary woke, her arm was on fire. She sat bolt upright and found Stuart in an armchair beside her. He put down the leather-bound volume he was reading and said, Do you need something for the pain? Yes, she gasped. It hurts so much. Her free hand moved to the metal band around her arm, slid it half an inch toward her wrist. It left a white imprint of behind. Stuart rose and handed her a glass of clear liquid that had been waiting for her on a bedside table. It's very fast acting, he said. The doctor sent it. She took the bitter draught in one gulp cradling her arm against her body. It felt like a hot, hard, leg of lamb. Such a deformed and diseased object simply couldn't be part of her body. Let me see, he said. He came to sit on the edge of her bed, then he took her arm and said something in his strange musical tongue. He ran his hands over the swollen flesh. Mary heard herself conversing with him, though she had no idea what she said. When he was done touching her, the pain had subsided to something that made her want to weep rather than scream. Stuart pressed to work rough and palm to her forehead. Still hot, he said. Let's hope the medicine the doctor gave you works. Then he straightened to stand beside the bed. Are you hungry? She nodded. She looked at the heavy white curtains over the windows. The room was dark, but she didn't know if it was midnight or dawn. How long had she been here? It's just after two in the morning, he said. You haven't been sleeping long. Eight days, she said. In eight days, she would be free of this manacle and the thing within her would be gone. It may get easier. Her power fades hour by hour. He picked up a phone by her bed. What do you want? Soup. Sandwich. She nodded. Why did she feel so grateful to him when he was the author of her misfortune? He had deceived her, had humiliated and tortured her. Yet she felt he was the only human on earth who understood how she felt or knew what she needed. Having delivered his instructions to the kitchen and returned the phone to its cradle, Stuart subsided back into his chair. I don't know how to pass the time, he said. It seems our lessons are at a premature end. Perhaps you could tell me what the purpose of all this is, she said. Why have you used me so ill? My explaining things to you hasn't seemed to help you very much, he said, resting his head against his hand. You refuse to believe the evidence of your own eyes, deny any information I give you, and come up with your own answers which seem to do you no good at all. You've never told me the truth, she said. You constantly lie to me. He shook his head as if in resignation. I never did. I explained the oath you were taking. I tried to instruct you in your role. You never said anything about this. She held up her arm. I never told you that you would wear a bracelet for a fortnight. Would you have cared? He asked. You tried to use my mother for this thing you are doing to me, but she ran away. Now you are using me instead. And what are we doing? He asked. What is it, exactly, that you think we are doing to you? I don't know. She said. Shall I tell you? He asked. I can tell you the truth, and then you can make up any story you would rather believe as you always do. Frankly, I'm a little tired of trying to convince you of anything. If you came up with any kind of a functional lie, I'd just agree with it. Fine. She said. Let's hear your story. My mother served my father exactly as you are serving me. He sat forward. In the weeks before I was conceived, she drew down the moon, just as you did. That ornament you have on your arm tied a lady to this place. 
to free herself, Our Lady bound Acheron into Arthur. Do you understand? No, said Mary. The goddess within you threads souls into bodies. All life on earth comes from her power to make souls from the astral plane animate flesh. Our ritual draws her down into a woman so she will perform this function. She makes it possible for the Dark Lord to live among men. She creates a gate between worlds. Acheron's gate, said Mary. Our Lady and the Dark Lord conceived me within my mother's womb in preparation for a time when Arthur would be no more. Soon it will be her power that allows Acheron to live in me. You are out of your mind, she said. He shrugged. My mother was bred and educated for her role. But, unknown to us, she came under the influence of the outer world. In the hours before your birth, she killed Arthur and tried to kill me. She gave birth on some London street while we searched high and low for her here. She killed herself on the steps of St. Anne's she said. Then it struck her. My God. We share a mother. Stuart ignored her shocked words. Arthur, struck from the world before his time, left us without Acheron's direct guidance. It thus took a very long time to find you. Although you were not educated to play your role, it is a role you were literally born to play. James appeared with a tray with two meals. He placed it on the bedside table and left a moment later, having never looked at either of them. It is not so different from the lower, said Stuart, taking a sandwich from the tray. They ride their willing servants. I am not at all willing, she said. Which brings us to our second issue, said Stuart. You willingly signed a contract and willingly took an oath. We now compel you to honor that oath for your sake as much as ours. No one wants you to die as your mother did. We have been working hard to avoid that since you were taken. Why are you not willing to follow through on your oath to us when you have so much to gain if you do, and everything to lose if you don't? Because this is wrong, she said. It's evil. We have been drawing Acheron into this world for thousands of years, said Stuart. You are not going to stop us. My mother almost did, she said. She is dead and you are here, said Stuart, dropping his linen napkin on the tray. How successful was she? Mary wondered if she should end her life. Would she go that far to stop them? What did she have to live for anyway? David was gone, her house was an open grave for misguided dreams. Margaret had died trying to help her. She had nothing, no one. Maybe her life's purpose was to stop this demon from entering the world. Stuart shook his head in disbelief. Your intentions are so clear you might as well be screaming them. You can't make me do this, she said. I assure you we can, he said. He left the room, and a few minutes later James reappeared. He watched Mary eat without comment, then took the tray and put it in the hall. The ivy was empty, so he removed the needle from her good arm, and took the bottle and bag he'd hung on the post of the bed away. Then, moments later, he returned to sit in the chair by the fire. With the illumination of a small lamp that sat on a table near him, she saw him begin to read. She settled back into her pillows and pondered her predicament. There had to be some way to escape. The next morning the doctor returned. He examined her arm for several minutes and reapplied the sticking plasters. Better, but still not what I'd like to see, he said at last. Help me, she demanded. I'm a prisoner here. He knows, said James. As a brother in our order, he accepts his role and yours. How is that possible? she demanded. Because it is, said James. Will that be all, doctor? For the time being, 
he said. James walked him to the door, then came back to stand beside the bed. Is there something I can get you? he asked Mary. How can you do this to me? she demanded. This goes against everything a psychiatrist should believe in. James turned to pick up the phone, waited a moment, then said something into it. A moment later Stuart, hair still damp from a shower, appeared. He was informally dressed in a sweater, shirt and jeans. With a nod he sent James away. I'm relatively indestructible, he said. Your power, or rather Our Lady's power, is waning very quickly now, but I can't let James join Ahmed in the hospital. He's making a speedy recovery, by the way. I don't care, she said. Do you feel well enough to get out of bed? He asked. You could walk around the house with me, search for ways to escape, and look for others to help you. She struggled upright, remembered she was naked, and settled back again. Ah, he said. I could thwart any plan simply by keeping you without clothes. Those nuns schooled you well. Have you no shame? She demanded. You are my brother. Not technically true, but you may believe what you wish. With the pronouncement he walked over to a large wardrobe and returned with a shirt, sweater, jeans, socks and underwear all in her size. Get dressed. He turned his back as she slid out of bed and quickly pulled on her clothes. Everything was new, expensive, and soft. When she was dressed she smelled of lavender. Stuart turned around to face her as she was trying to tie her shoes one-handed. Here, he said, kneeling. Let me help you. As he tied the laces on her trainers, he said, Now you are ready for that mad sprint to London I'm sure you have in mind. Don't mock me. Don't be so mockable, he replied. Let's wander around our house. What? As much yours as mine sister. He said the word as if it were a joke. He led her out of the room, and they followed the large stairway into what used to be the sanctuary of the church. From there he led her across the wide expanse of soft carpet to a wooden door. He threw it open to reveal two stories of books lining all four walls of the room. If you were the practicing which you seemed to be when I found you, this library would send a thrill up your spine, he said. This is the largest library of occult science in the world, with many volumes written by our own members over hundreds of years. You can find all our grimoires here, all our spells and incantations. My tarot cards? she said came from our vault two stories below. Many magical things reside there. I might choose to share them with the witch and the Dark Lord's consort, but of course as our enemy, you likely won't live long enough for a tour. Now you are threatening me? she asked in disbelief. I am explaining the predetermined outcome for a course of action you are considering, Stuart said. He pointed at a volume open on the large table in the middle of the room. This book from the Middle Ages tells how to lift a child from the womb of a mother without killing her. Mary moved forward to study the image of a sleeping child, set to be born breech, inside a uterus. She could see a blade exposed to fire, and another displaying an incision, then the body open and organs removed. Written in 1104, he said. Other volumes show the elliptical orbits of the planets, the position of the stars, and how to construct a telescope. Long before Galileo our society understood the clockwork of the universe. Science, she said. Not magic. Science is magic without meaning. Magic is science without understanding. She turned, walking out of the room and away from Stuart's defense of the indefensible. Once in what used to be the sanctuary of the abbey she turned toward massive double doors. 
she could see clouds through the tall windows, as if it were misty outside. Perhaps she could walk to town. Stuart fell into step beside her as she made for the doors, then actually opened them for her. She noted that they were ten inches of solid oak with a core of metal inside. Clearly they were built to protect a fortress. Once through the doors she found herself on a tree-shaded terrace with steps that led down to the dark asphalt drive and the road through the woods to the abbey's main gate. She began walking toward the stairs but Stuart caught her good arm. Let's try running away tomorrow, he said. Your strength will fail if you try today and that will provide us with hardly any entertainment at all. You and I can walk on the sand today. You can contemplate an escape via our beach. As he ushered her around the corner of the building she saw an astonishing view of a private bay in the top of a stone staircase leading down a cliff. Listen carefully, sister, he said. We are on a peninsula. We have many tiny coves and attractive beaches below. At this time of year the water is warm close to shore but it's much colder when you reach deep water. It's a seven-mile swim to the nearest village and, when you're feeling up to it, perhaps we can make it together. As they began their walk down the stairs he said, I improved these steps a few years back, he said. They used to be made of wood and natural stone, but I wanted something more durable. As a member of the society, I hope you approve of the 18 million pounds I invested in what will never be more than a personal indulgence for the fortunate few who visit our enclave. She pulled her arm away and began walking down the steps without his assistance. The view was truly magnificent. She could see for miles out to sea, could just make out little coves that lined the shoreline, and could see a narrow strip of beach that ran right along the edge of the peninsula in either direction. He said, At high tide that beach goes away and the water fills the little coves. So, if you decide to take this path to freedom make sure you can travel about twenty miles, on foot, in the six or so hours where the tide can be called low. Alternatively you must find a way to acquire a boat. Turning to him she said, I have done nothing to deserve this cruelty beyond trusting you. That was my only mistake. She turned her back on him and forced herself to walk as quickly as she could down the beautiful but winding stairs. Each step she took jolted her arm, and it occurred to her she was in no fit condition to swim anywhere, or run anywhere, or to make any kind of aided escape. But she had to remain defiant because she could not, would not, be party to whatever monstrous ritual they had in mind. At long last she reached the bottom stair and she looked left and right along the beach. It managed to be both beautiful and horrifying in its isolation. Mind getting your feet wet? he asked. It was the first thing he had said to her in several minutes and his manner seemed less jovial as if her last words had given him pause for thought. I can show you something remarkable. You've come all this way and I think you'll agree it's worth the effort. He sat down on the bottom step and removed his shoes placing the expensive loafers and dark socks on the wide rail of the stair. Sighing, she moved to sit beside him. She slipped her shoes and socks off and left them on the sand. Then he led her along the beach toward the abbey, and she followed him around the corner into a little cove that had an opening into a cave at its heart. Water ran from the cave to the shore creating a little river to the sea. If you do manage to bring our ancient society down, he said, make sure you bring the National Trust here. It is under the abbey because the church was built over it well over a thousand years ago. Before that other places of worship were here. This has always been a holy place because of what is hidden inside. As they walked through the cave with rough rock walls, the narrow channel turned left and right until eventually it opened into a cavern made of what looked like amber and violet glass. It was like one of those geode rocks you broke open to find crystals inside. 
The cavern was filled with warm sea water, and it was illuminated by an opening to the sun that lay directly at its center. Near where they stood she saw a larger-than-life statue of a kneeling woman, hands raised as hers had once been. She was drawing down the moon. The beautiful leonine head was turned in permanent rapture toward the sky. You looked like that, he said. As your high priest, I was the only one allowed to see. She turned to look at him. This temple of the moon long predates the Romans. She's guarded this place since a millennia before Christ. She said nothing, staring at the statue and trying not to hear what he was saying. This couldn't be real. Demons, cults, all of it was insane. Could this be anything other than rich men playing a terrible game? How on earth had she, raised in a convent, have found herself embroiled in whatever terrible thing this was? In the center of our bay, two hundred meters down they'll find the Temple of Avalon. I've dived there. King Arthur sleeps in a crypt in the heart of the city. Mary found herself sinking to the damp sand. This was too much. It was all too much to take in. Could any of it be true? And yet here she was. Stuart moved to sit near the statue. The mother of Arthur's child Modred was his sister Morgaze. Arthur was called the High King because he united the pagan and the Roman dynasties. Did you know that? Of course not, she said wearily. The Egyptians were also ruled by a brother and sister. Osiris and Isis were brother and sister and she gave birth to Horus. This is madness, she said. Whatever you say, it always will be madness. There are two universes, mortal and immortal, and they are atoms apart. Acheron and Our Lady live in one and we live in the other. Thousands of years ago Acheron found a way to step into this world by creating a gate. I am that gate. I was forged in the woman that bore both of us. So were you. Neither of us is human. We are born and bred for the roles we are set to play. The cold rush of panic washed over Mary as she stared at the beautiful maniac who sat just a few feet away. That's not true, she said. It's impossible. I have forty-eight chromosomes and some rather unique bones in my back that argue otherwise, he said. But I am human, she said. Of course I am. You have the right number of chromosomes, but you have been heavily engineered. By a demon, she said, unable to hide her disbelief and scorn. By a deity four years after I was born. Acheron created Arthur's replacement, then he made a replacement for our mother. She bore us both as he ordained. Mary rose to her feet, keeping her eyes lowered so he would not see the revulsion and terror in her eyes. I tell you this so you understand that neither of us has a choice, said Stuart. Your mother tried to run away and he found her. He found you. The society exists to serve him and it has existed for a very long time. It is very powerful. I can't believe any of this, she said. Then she turned back the way they had come and began walking out of the cave. Once she was outside she picked up her shoes and socks and began the long march up to the top of the steps. She would walk to the top, then walk down the drive, then get through the gate, then go back to town. She would get on a plane and go to David in Japan. She would put all this madness behind her forever. She could live with nothing less. Before she was halfway to the top she had to stop. Chest heaving, arm throbbing, she found her legs couldn't carry her a step farther. Without asking her permission Stuart scooped her up into his arms. Despite her struggles he carried her easily to the top of the steps and set her down. Then he whispered something, the words somehow like music and she felt her body relax and her pain subside. It was if Stuart could command her body without speaking to her mind, 
and the idea both terrified and enraged her. What did you say? she demanded. He looked at her, bemused. You used to be able to understand what Our Lady and I said to one another. I suppose, as her strength wanes, that capacity is failing. I told her it wouldn't be long now before we let her go home. I don't believe a word you say, she said grimly. I am going to walk into town. Stuart said something else in his musical language. It was the last thing Mary heard before the world went away. Recording and Story Copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.